As we are now fully into the liturgical cycle of ordinary time, our second reading is taken from St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. We'll continue reading selections of it in the Mass until Lent begins. 1 Corinthians is likely one of Paul's oldest epistles, so it gives us an important glimpse into the life of an early Christian community. And what's so amazing about this is that so many of the concerns and problems that they faced, in fact, are quite similar to those that are faced by us in our modern church. There are just so many nuggets of insight that St. Paul imparted to the Corinthians that are so applicable to our times. So I would encourage you to read the epistle for yourselves, as the lectionary readings over the next month and a half obviously can't give it all. But let me try to hit some of the high points for you. One of the first things that Paul addresses is that there are divisions and rivalries within the church at Corinth. And mind you, at this point, the early Christian community that Paul was writing to might have numbered only a few dozen, certainly less than a 100 people. Yet some of these were already identifying themselves not as followers of Christ, but by their favorite apostle or disciple. I belong to Paul. I belong to Apollos. I belong to Cephas. And so Paul reminds them, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? We see this same tendency towards factionalism in our church today. People will say, I'm a Pope Francis kind of Catholic. Or others will say, I'm not such a big fan of Pope Francis. I like Pope Benedict better. I only go to the Latin Mass. I can't stand the Latin Mass, etc., etc. Now, we are at liberty as Christians to have our preferences on many things, liturgically, spiritually, or pastorally. Indeed, the genius of the Church is that throughout her history, she has been so accommodating of a great many evangelical and personal approaches to the faith within the mantle of the necessary unity and faith and morals that is required of a Catholic. For example, some priests and religious live in monasteries, isolated in very remote places. Others minister to the poor in the slums and the ghettos. Both are living the gospel. But St. Paul reminds us that the diversity that animates our church must never divide us from Christ or from each other. Another thing that St. Paul famously addresses in 1 Corinthians is the question of women wearing veils to cover their hair in church. Now, this is one of those passages in scriptures that never fails to elicit a very emotional response one way or another, because there are still some women who follow this teaching and are very devoted to it, but there are others who consider it an imposition and an outdated teaching. The deeper issue that St. Paul is addressing is modesty. At that time, a woman having her hair uncovered in a public place was considered very immodest. Perhaps few people feel that way today. But hopefully we can all agree that modesty should inform the way we present ourselves to the world, most especially in church. And modesty is not merely a question of how short or tight some article of clothing is or how suggestive it might be. That's certainly one aspect aspect of modesty, but it's not the whole picture. It's also a modest address in an expensive or eye-grabbing fashions for the purpose of drawing undue attention to ourselves. 
And let me also say that we are not off the hook simply because we don't put a lot of effort into our appearance for Mass. The vice of vanity or immodesty is not cured by slovenliness. Unfortunately, some people appear to dress for Mass with a kind of indifference, as though they just popped in from mowing the lawn on their way to the hardware store. That, too, is a kind of immodesty, because modesty is connected to the virtue of humility. A person who participates in the Mass without caring whether they are decently dressed exhibits a kind of arrogance, as in, I can't bother to even get a little dressed up in order to attend to the holy sacrifice of the Mass. Now, a lot of people bristle when the question of modesty or formality in dress for Mass is brought up. They'll say, why can't I just wear what makes me feel comfortable? Why is it my problem if someone else is distracted by how revealing or how over-the-top expensive or how sloppy it is that I'm dressed? Do you think that God really cares? The truth is, as St. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, I have made myself a slave to all so as to win over as many people as possible. The truth is that we can't let ourselves be a stumbling block to Christ, to anyone. St. Paul also addresses the problem that occurred to the Corinthians when they gathered to eat. Now, that's probably not a problem that we would have in our church, but let me help you see it as a way of analogizing to the question of modesty. The problem that they had was that sometimes the meat they procured for a meal might have been sacrificed to idols. St. Paul says that, in fact, there's nothing wrong with eating meat that was sacrificed in this way because, of course, the Christians didn't participate in the worship of the idol. But the problem comes that in some situations, other people might think that by eating that meat, a Christian signaled their participation in the sacrifice that the pagans engaged in when they killed the animal. In which case, he says, don't eat that meat. Because giving a scandal or a bad example to others is a sin. Just because something is allowed doesn't mean that it's a good thing to do. We have to remember that no matter what, we are our brother's keeper. Finally, St. Paul also addresses the way in which some of the Corinthian Christians were receiving the Eucharist. He says, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord unworthily will have to answer for the body and blood of Christ. A person should examine themselves and so eat the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on themselves. It's easy sometimes to treat the Eucharist indifferently. Whether we are daily or weekly mass goers, many Catholics have received the Eucharist so many times in so many different circumstances that it can seem routine. But we can never let it become that, because the Eucharist is the source and summit of the Christian life. First, we should always be making a regular confession, but especially if we think we might have committed a mortal sin. Because to receive the Eucharist outside the state of grace not only doesn't do us any good, it actually compounds our sin. Of course, there is a danger that some people can be overly scrupulous, thinking that they have committed mortal sins when they really haven't, and unnecessarily cutting themselves off from the grace of communion. But many others fail to fully examine their consciences, as St. Paul says, and thereby receive the Eucharist unworthily. But second, our worthiness to receive the Eucharist is also tied to our faith. To receive the Eucharist, one must really believe in what it is, not as a symbol or as a ritual or as a practice, 
but really the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said, Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Understandably, some of Jesus' disciples found this hard to accept. But our Lord doubled down. He said, does this shock you? What if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? In other words, if we discount the idea that Christ can be truly and substantially present to us in the Eucharist, we are equally discounting the idea that he rose from the dead and ascended back to his Father, in which case we can no longer call ourselves Christians. In receiving the Eucharist, we have to ask ourselves, is my heart and my mind and my body truly focused on the fact that as I receive the Eucharist, I am receiving my Savior, body, blood, soul, and divinity? And further ask ourselves, am I comporting myself and am I handling my Eucharistic Lord in a manner befitting this great sacrament, which was won for me on the cross? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.